Welcome back to Creator Talks. I'm your host, Christopher Calloway. You know, for the past few weeks, I've been doing multiple guest episodes, and it's been a lot of fun. It's been like a convention panel in a sense. So if you can't make a convention, well, here's a great way to hear from the creators. And my guests this week are the creators on Bitch Planet Triple Future, which is coming out on Wednesday, June 14th. That is a Kelly Sue DeConnick and Valentine DeLandro presentation. And Kelly Sue picked the creators on this triple feature issue. And so I'm speaking to writers Sherilyn Eaton, Conley Lyons, and artist Joanne Estep, each contributing to one of the three features in the triple feature. So this is pretty much like a house party. Everyone came in at different points of the conversation due to their busy schedules. So I start out with Sherilyn Eaton. She wrote the story Windows for the book. Later, we are joined by Conley Lyons, the writer who contributed The Invisible Woman to the book. And then finally, Joanne Estep makes it in time to contribute to the whole conversation, and she was the artist on Without and Within. So we talk about their contributions to the book, the lack of representation of women at comic conventions, dealing with social media, and their impressions of Wonder Woman, and of course, my questions about rest and relaxation. If you like what you hear, reach out to me at Creator Talks Pod on Facebook and Twitter, or shoot me a quick email at my website, creatortalks.com. Thank you, new followers and loyal listeners, for your feedback this week. I really appreciate it. And so now on with our interview with Sherilyn Eaton, Conley Lyons, and Joanne Estep. Here now on Creator Talks. My guest today is a contributor of Bitch Planet Triple Feature, which is coming out on June 14th. Today I have Cheryl Lynn Eaton. She is a writer and contributed Windows. Welcome to Creative Talks. Hi, it's nice to be here. Thanks so much for joining me. You must be thrilled to be contributing to this book. This is a uh, Kelly Sue DeConnick and Valentine DeLandro presentation. Would you tell me when you were tapped to contribute to this triple feature and what your reaction was? Um, I assume that Kelly Sue probably reached out to you directly. Uh, Yes, she did. Actually, I believe it was at Emerald City Comic Con. Um, It was shock and absolute delight. Um, I feel like this is a trial by fire because this is my first uh, published comics work with uh, Maria Froelich, who is an amazing artist. I am so humbled and honored to be able to work with her. And um, I really am just so appreciative of Kelly Sue because she was really the first person in this industry to believe in me, probably even more than I believed in myself, and to push me and and tell me that she really believed that I I could do this work. And that's when I decided, you know what, I'm going to see, I'm going to pitch and see how it works out. And luckily, she loved the pitch and we decided to move forward. What are you bringing to the table for this particular story that's uniquely yours? your story, your spin on it, that has your signature on it? Uh, I'm a little scared to give too much away. Oh, uh, yeah, no, <laughs> no no spoilers, please. I, I want to, you know, just as far as your style, let's say. I think uh, the most important thing that not only that I bring to the table, but what everyone brings to the table is uh, their own unique point of view and their upbringing, how that really kind of, I guess, colors the work uh, it would be the, the right word to use. Um for me, I think it's uh, basically growing up as a black woman in the U.S., uh, starting off lower middle class and talking. I don't want to give too much away again, but um, talking about how it is difficult to move within uh, the different class structures in the U.S. 
And um, the lead character kind of has that difficulty or that, I guess, uh, in, in that she struggles in sort of being between classes, between power levels, um, where she has some level of authority, but not enough that she needs to make the widespread changes that she'd like to make. Would you do this again? I mean, this is um, this is one of a series. Now, it looks like there's a different creative team or teams on each issue coming out. There'll be another one in July, another one in August. But would you do something like this again? Uh, I would love to do something like this again. I think it's uh, not that, that frequently, but I think it's important that Kelly Sue got women from a whole bunch of different backgrounds, um, ethnic, racial, religion, uh, society. So I would like to have to be able to not only see my own story, obviously, but to see all of these different women from different backgrounds and different cultures and giving their viewpoint and how they feel about the Bitch Planet universe first before I would go in for an, uh, another round, mm-hmm. obviously. But I would love to continue also writing um, in the comic genre. I have loved comics ever since I was a little kid. So obviously this is something that I would definitely love to do more of. Well, I certainly hope you do. And go out to cons, please, because when I I go to cons, you know, I don't see many women there um, at as far as creators go. And I know they've had trouble trying to get some exposure sometimes. Um, and it's frustrating because I really want to talk to them, but they're just not there. And I don't know what the problem seems to be. Have you heard anything about that, stories about that, frustrations women are dealing with trying to get in the industry and get noticed and get the same level of respect and promotion, I should say, as the men? It's very difficult, um, simply because for the comics industry, and uh, I guess uh, you've, you've seen uh, this before, where you're kind of dependent on your own promotion, on your own pocketbook for these, uh, these things, going out to, say, Emerald City or to WizCon and getting a table. So obviously, if you're from a marginalized group that makes less than the other group or from, than the promoter group, it's going to be a little difficult to get to these events to promote your work. And the scary thing is it's so important to go to these events because that's where you meet um, editors. Unfortunately, I think, but I do believe it's changing uh, in a good way. Uh, We have an issue where women aren't often invited as guests. And obviously if you're invited as a guest, that takes a very big load off when it comes to the financial strain of attending these conventions. So, one good thing I, I mean I am happy about is that I'm seeing more women as guests, especially with the um, with the read shows such as Emerald City, New York Comic Con, um, and also San Diego Comic Con as well. You're seeing a much wider range of who gets invited in um, and who gets that monetary compensation as well um, to go to these conventions. So that's something that I'm I'm a little happier about to see. Yeah, that's probably the, one of the biggest problems is the monetary compensation to go because it it can be very expensive. Um, oh, yes. <laughs> I'm going to just break for one second. I see Connolly is available. Oh, hello, Chris. Hello, Connolly. Hey. Hey. <laughs> I have Cheryl in here. Hello, hello. I know. I haven't seen you since Heroes Con. I know. It's been a long time. <laughs> How you been? Good, good. And we're also joined now by Connie Lyons. She is a fictional freelance writer and editor who wrote The Invisible Woman in this particular triple feature. 
and we're talking about cons and how we're trying to find ways or what seems to be the problem with women breaking into cons, getting in there and getting representation and getting their books read and getting noticed and getting the same amount of respect and promotion as the men do. Um, and Conley, have you experienced this problem as well? Um, I don't think to the, to the same extent that Cheryl Lynn has, mainly because I don't have as much um, experience tabling at cons. Um, you know, I think obviously breaking in is always difficult, um, particularly for women, um, no matter what field you're in, but um, especially for uh, a field like comics where people are very, I think the nicest way to put it is protective over, uh, you know, territorial would be, would be another way. Um, so, I mean, I think um, it's definitely something to um, think about, you know, as you are trying to, to look at other creators and are trying to, you know, make those connections with people. Um, one of the things that I try to do, um, at least, you know, in my own work is kind of make sure I'm looking around and saying, okay, you know, who's really talented, who I don't think I've seen enough of, um, you know, who deserves a seat at the table or deserves, you know, a shout out who hasn't gotten one really, you know, deserves one. I think just trying to turn that focus away from people who, you know, maybe are talented or, or, and are getting more of the attention than someone else uh, is, is basically what I try to do at conventions or, you know, in general. I would like to see more equality in terms of the guests at the conventions. Because I look at my pile of books and I have a pretty good breakout of different uh, writers, male, female, what have you. And um, I don't always see that the cons and the reading audience is much more diverse now. It's pretty, there's a lot more females going into comic book stores. You know, they're reading just about as many books as the guys and they're going to the cons too. So I kind of wonder what's up with that sometimes. And as I was saying earlier, it's a little frustrating for me because I want to meet some of these creators and they're just not invited enough to the shows. And it's not yeah, affordable I, for them to just go on their own. Right. I mean, it's, it's either it's not affordable or, you know, there's there's under mitigating factors. What do you contribute to the story that's uniquely yours? And I'm not asking for spoilers, just your spin, your style that makes your contribution to the, the book, The Invisible Woman, so special. Thematically, the three stories are tied together really well. Um, so in that case, you know, they definitely complement each other. Um, but what I liked about um, Cheryl Lynn's story that isn't necessarily present in mine is that um, her main character is very um, savvy and very focused uh, while my main character uh, you know she she has an idea of what she wants but she doesn't really know how to make that happen and um, she's essentially the type of person who's you know just having trouble making forward movements you know towards her goals and and so I think you know, maybe something I was able to do was uh, play up the humor in that. Um, I, I, I love that Sherilyn's was very dystopian satire. It was very funny, but it was also, you know, her protagonist was very forceful. Mine, uh, I think, you know, my main character is, is less forceful, but she, she gets to undergo a bit of change, which I, which I enjoyed. Were you invited by Kelly Sue herself to do work on this book? Uh, I was. Um, Kelly Sue and I met a couple years ago through a mutual friend, uh, we were all writers, and uh, we happened to be um, running the same half marathon, although all three of us were essentially, you know, injured out of commission at the time. So uh, there was no, not a lot of running involved. We mostly walked uh, a good portion of it and just chatted and, um, you know, brainstormed some things and uh, 
then a little bit later, uh, she invited me to, to pitch uh, for what would eventually become Triple Feature. Would you do it again? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it was an invaluable experience for me, um, especially as, as a new uh, comics writer, um, just being able to, to dig in and um, learn more about the medium and work with, you know, not just Kelly Sue, but um, Valentine and Craig and the entire MilkFed team. You know, that was that was a great experience. You know, each of us have an event or a person that led us to pursue a particular path to follow a, a passion that we had. Uh, like for me, for example, podcasting. Things happen. People influence me. And I'm like, I want to do that. For each of you, was there an event or person that put you on the path to be a writer? Cheryl Lynn, we'll start with you. Oh, my goodness. Um, let's see. There's two uh, different paths because there's one for just writing in general. And then there's one for uh, the, the world of comics. And for writing in general, I, I would have to say it's my mother um, who would buy me every single book that I ever wanted as a child and uh, just was very patient with, uh, because I requested quite a few of them, uh, with me in uh, reading them. Uh, for the world of comics, it, it's more my peers when I was a teenager, um, friends in school who were very much into the world of comics. Um, my old boyfriend who was uh, into it as well. So I was drawn into that world. And as they sometimes left, I actually stayed in it. And I was um, very interested in the, uh, I guess, the uh, the soap opera uh, kind of um, storylines that uh, occurred in those books. Um, I've read since I was a little kid. Um, obviously, the everyone has grown up on X-Men. And um, the early image books, uh, Wildstorm books I loved as a kid. Conley, for you, the influences, the events. Uh, I mean, I think I would agree with Cheryl Lynn in that, um, you know, my parents, my mother, but also my father, um, we're a storytelling family. <laughs> it's a very, you know, stereotypical Southern Appalachian thing where, you know, you're just, you're always talking about funny things that have happened, strange things that have happened. You know, you're trying to sort of conjure up these different little tales out of whatever it is that's happened to you that day. And so, um, you know, I think that definitely played a big part in me uh, wanting to become a writer. Um, and then, uh, you know, as Cheryl Lynn said, as far as comics goes, I think um, I, ha I had a friend in college personally who um, I had read, you know, a lot of comics before, but just sort of single issues sporadically or um, whatever I had found just on my own. And in college I had a friend who, I mean, she had just, backlog of you know x-men batman super just as so many different series and graphic novels and um, a lot of creators that i had never really read before and so um, that was essentially my introduction to the medium and to how creative and uh, diverse it could be are there any books that you're both reading now that you would recommend to other people to pick up that's a hard question to answer because it's, it's, it's sort of like saying, uh, do you have a TV show to recommend? Because there's never any one book that's for everyone. There's never any uh, universal book. Uh, so it depends on who's doing the asking. I have, you know, a lot of um, books that I love. I love Adam Warren's Empowered series. I love uh, the Aya series by Marguerite Abbeway. It's just, but it depends on what a person is looking for. Are they looking for comedy? Are they looking for a... Um, a grim and gritty story, a crime story. So it, it kind of wavers depending on who's doing the asking. Oh, fair enough. Conley, how about you? 
I definitely agree. I feel like there's a lot of stuff I'm reading right now that it, it just depends on the mood someone is in when they ask me or, you know, when they are just looking for recommendations. Um, one that I've talked about recently is the um, adaptation of Kindred that uh, Damien Duffy and John Jennings did recently. Um, so I don't know if you've read the original book. That's not Octavia Butler's story. Um, but the, the graphic novel is just gorgeous. And uh, I'm really enjoying that right now. I know it is hard for me if someone says to me, what do you recommend? And it's a good question. Like, what do you like? Because um, it's hard for me to, to even pick from the books I read. You know, like, well, I'd recommend this one because there's there's so much out there. And there is a lot more of uh, diversity of content, uh, a lot to choose from now. But I think I think there always has been, but it hasn't had the exposure it had before. Um, I mean, there have always been underground comics. There, there was uh, a black and white boom in the uh, '80s, but they didn't have as high a profile as they would now. I mean, at least now, more in the quote mainstream, we can see a lot more diversity of stories on the shelves, and they're selling. I mean, like image books, all kinds of stories. You can find something that you like, and I think before it wasn't always as readily available, and uh, probably wasn't as much uh, accepted. To read books that weren't along the mainstream, you know, superhero books. Conley, go ahead. I'll follow up. Uh, well, I was just, I was going to say, you know, I think um, earlier indie comics to me seemed like it was all these creators not necessarily hoping they wouldn't make money because obviously, you know, you create a book, you hope it'll do well. But, um, you know, I think it was a lot of these people who were very passionate about the story that they were telling or the, you know, the experience that they wanted to um, give to other people. And while that's still true today, um, obviously, you know, the fact that you can find so many different things to suit different interests, that that definitely helps. You know, it's not so much art for art's sake anymore. And Sherilyn? I think we are seeing the diversity, one, obviously, because of the diversity in the talent pool, but also the diversity in how we are getting these books. You don't have to even leave your house. I can get the latest issue of Bitch Planet without leaving my house. All my, my issues are through comicsology, which is wonderful. So there's never that, um, I guess, that hesitation that I felt when I was a, a young girl going into these shops that some of them weren't exactly welcoming. Uh, so it kind of um, steered people away from the diversity in the work because I guess you had gatekeepers that maybe weren't too happy <laughs> about that diversity or who wanted a, a specific clientele. So I think kind of opening up how you read has opened up what you read, which gives, it just gives us a little bit more of, um, I guess it just gives us more options, which I'm, I'm glad. And I think because of that, it, um, it opens it up to more creators as well. Well, and I like what you said about uh, comicsology too, Sherilyn. Um, I feel like that one of the, the hardest parts about going into a store and kind of looking for new either books or creators is, you know, that there's, there's always that point in which you say, well, you know, am I going to have to ask a question? Am I just going to have to, you know, look around until I find whatever, you know, looks appealing. And the fact that we can just pull up comiXology or do a quick Google search or, you know, go on Twitter and just, you know, shoot out a question to people that we know or don't know. I, I think that's definitely, um, change the way that a lot of people buy comics because it it removes some of the maybe anxiety that you might have about it um especially for people who are maybe new to the medium not only consume books but also that Conley brought up which is amazing the way we talk about it because there's no and and i remember when i was younger i used to actually work in a comic shop 
And you get used to the Wednesday crowd of everyone who comes in on Wednesday after you, you know, you put the books out on Tuesday night. And now Twitter has become the, the shop. And we get our books, and unfortunately, some people spoil them because they get them a little earlier than others. <laughs> but, you know, we talk about it on Twitter on, on Wednesday morning, you know, or, and throughout the day, obviously. But um, so you get that camaraderie, uh, which is great, but you can do it just sitting in your own house. It's changed the way I consume them. I love and always have loved going to the comic shop to pick up my new books. It was always like an event for me. It was like Christmas Day, every new comic book day. It still is. And uh, even going through the back issue bins and trying to find something new. But Comicology, and I do buy books on Comicology. And as I always tell people, I go through the portal for my LCS so at least they get a taste. You know, I don't want to like go around them because I've been loyal to them and they've been, been a great shop. But I'll, awesome. go through, I'll go through Comicsology and I'll find all these books I would not have otherwise seen that are just in digital format. A lot of uh, mm. indie creators. like, uh, And I would hear some of these on other podcasts too, like Bandette. Uh, Paul Tobin mm. and Colleen Clover's doing the art. And I love that book. It's great. And I get it digitally. Well, and I think that's kind of, I, at least for me, you know, coming from fiction, there's, there's always that point of where you're looking at your bookshelves as they are on the verge of collapsing and going, <laughs> yeah. oh boy, I don't know if I could bring anything else into the house. So, you know, for me, it, it's kind of, that's another reason that I like getting comics in digital format. You know, I do buy a lot of physical comics, graphic novels, just so I can have those, um, you know, especially because I like, it, it changes the reading experience. But with the digital issues, I don't have to worry that, you know, one day I'll be on an episode of Quarters. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because I, I read the book, The, the Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up, and oh, I yeah. packed everything in boxes, <laughs> and I drove down to the local library, and I was like, here you go. And now I am now I am 100% well not 100%. I'm 50% comicology and 50% Google Play Books, which is also pretty amazing. Hmm. Um, I'm surprised to find out that they have pretty good sales and a, a pretty good selection of, of comics as well. So, yeah, as, I'm, as long as I have a tablet, I'm, I'm never going back. But not to say that the local comic shop is bad. If I had one in my area, I would probably go, but since I'm in the middle of nowhere now, that's Google Play and, you know, Comixology blessing to me. So I'm going to have to check out Google Play. I didn't even realize they had that many comics. <laughs> but, yeah. Wow. Yeah. If you don't hear from me again for a couple of weeks, you're going to know what <laughs> Yeah, my wife, she reads a lot of books now on the Nook app on the tablet. Doesn't even bother. Like, I mean, she still reads, you know, paperbacks, but she prefers to have them on the tablet. That way, if you know she's reading or one of the kids are trying to fall asleep, when she has a free hand, when she can do that, um, yeah, she doesn't wake anybody up. The lights are out. You can read yeah. it. And I like taking it with me when I travel for reading comics. That way, I don't damage the books. I just throw it in my backpack or my bag, and it's much easier for me just to pull that out and read from that. I can take a whole library with me and get caught up when I'm on a plane or something. Magical. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great age <laughs> for the technology. And I still like giving the trades too. But one thing about the single copies, and I often preach this on the podcast, is that one thing you get from those, especially one like Bitch Planet, is this great back matter. There's great articles in there um, by women and just great, great, really in-depth analysis of social issues. Um, it's something I don't think you get those in the trade. I don't believe they're included. I think that's only something you can get the single copies. That's generally the the draw for the single copies. Yeah, I think. Oh that, yeah, definitely. I'm trying to remember. I just bought the trade so I could give it to my parents so they could read Bitch Planet. <laughs> and 
which was an experience in itself. But uh, yeah, it, I, I think you, that's why it is a different reading experience for me, at least for Bitch Planet, is just because it does, it cuts out a little bit of that, not just context, but also the commentary, which I miss. It's really amazing what Kelly Sue has done in building a community through the back matter and yeah. through organizations like, you know, social media, like Tumblr, like Twitter, it is just amazing. And I didn't realize how much I missed that because it's, it's not something new, but it's something that was definitely abandoned by uh, a lot of people who, a lot of comic creators uh, that I guess maybe to cut down on costs. I'm not sure why those, uh, the back matter has disappeared from so many books. But it, it's something that I, I definitely miss reading those letters and reading that information, you know, little tidbits from editors, from, uh, from writers, from artists. Um, I, it's something that I really miss. And I think it's something that really builds a community around the book and is something that should come back. And I'm really glad that Kelly Sue put in the work to do that. Yeah, I mean, it, it's... I, I think to your point, you know, maybe along the way other creators or other publishers have just kind of looked at it and thought, oh, you know, we can do this on the internet now. Why do we even need the back matter? But it does give you something, you know, that the internet can't in that it's building a community of these very diehard devotees um, who are engaging in a positive way, which, you know, you can on the internet, but there's also a lot of other stuff out there too. So I think it is, it's really unique to the series, just and a testament, I think, to what, she's done um that people feel that that's a, a another home in a sense yeah i mean i it definitely helps build a community um the support around the book by having that the back matter and the letter pages i mean it's nice to see it on social media because you get that instantly but you can only you know with twitter you can only say so much and you can you can pour out your thoughts a lot more in an email that gets printed in the book Right. People aren't yeah, going to click I, on thread one of 29, but they probably will read, you know, a 50 word letter. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I was going to say, I think the important part of it, too, that I guess we don't really think about until much later is that it's just a perfect time capsule as well to show what women are going through during this time. I know this sounds superficial, but I, I read uh, a few old issues of um, an old Wildstorm book, uh, Wildcats and Gen 13. And it's amazing to see um, kind of the thoughts that we had regarding different groups during that time period and how much it's changed for the better over those years. But I think what Kelly Sue is doing also with that back matter is kind of creating a snapshot and stating this is what various groups of women are going through 2016, 2017. And that's going to be something that's going to be really interesting. Hopefully we're all around here, you know, 10, 20, 30 years to take a look and see, oh, that's what uh, life was like back then. And that's how and it has changed this much for us, for women, for society as a whole uh, during that period. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good point. Um, I, I like going back in either old comics that I have or old books that I had and sometimes just rereading the letters that people submitted or the little contests that are running, just the different topical things, because it is, it's an interesting slice of life. You know, it's a little piece of history that otherwise might be forgotten. And I think to your point, it's, it's definitely um, something that's very unique and very valuable, you know, not just for us, but for a lot of people 
to see. Yeah, it's a good way to see what culture is like, where we have come from and where we still need to go, just by going back and looking at those books. And I just like watching old TV shows, like I've mentioned before on the podcast, one of my guilty pleasures is watching the old Carson reruns they've been doing lately. Um, And I don't know if you've seen those, but I've been watching them and I've been watching the stand-up comedians and some of them, like my jaw hits the floor, like I can't believe they said that. And it's... It was so accepted back then, some of the ethnic jokes and things. And I'm like, oh, my God, I can't believe it. You would not see that now. But bringing back in the comic shops and Bitch Planet, one thing about Bitch Planet, you know, it's talking about noncompliant women who are rebelling against the system, a patriarchal society run by men that are uh, abusive. And you say, well, that's fiction. You know, that's not what it's really like. And depending on the circles that you're in, I don't associate with people like that, so I don't see it, but I hear it. And you go into some comic shops, not the one I go in, but you'll still see people that kind of have that, well, you shouldn't be here, or are you here for, and I've heard these stories recently, oh, you're here mm-hmm. for your boyfriend or for your little boy, no, it's my, it's for me. I mean, I heard that from a creator once, going, and her own book was on the shelf, and she handed him a list, wow. and said, oh, that's so cute, this is for, your little boy wrote this, she's like, I'm out of here. <laughs> <laughs> it's awful, awful. So those things. So maybe you know, some people don't see this stuff, but it's still there. It's still in the shadows, and some of it's like maybe you've experienced this. I don't know if you have. I know other women creators have social media backlash they get directly from you know really some nasty people saying really nasty things. I mean, are you still seeing a lot of that? I don't think everyone. Some people aren't aware that that's still a problem. I don't think they are aware. I don't see a lot of it because I have, um, and it's sad that I have to do this, but I pretty much locked down my social media um, mm. because of, you know, issues like that. I, I've never let it get too far. I mean, as soon as I get one direct message that's, you know, a, a slur, that's it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I don't, <laughs> I'm, I'm too old. I don't have the patience uh, to deal with that. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I, I'm, I, you know. And, but it's sad that I have to kind of limit myself in a way that my male peers would not. Um, and it, it is true. I've, I've seen it happen to other women in the industry who speak out about issues in the industry. There is a, um, a horrible backlash. Um, and uh, there are a lot of angry fans. I guess it depends on the arenas that you're in. Um, I don't think you'll see it too much on the indie side. Um, I think it's really women who operate within the mainstream that Mm. have to worry about that backlash. And I think it depends too on, you know, not, not necessarily the series you're writing for, because I I don't think you can pin it, you know, to a certain group of fans, but depending on the property, I think that definitely um, can, can affect the amount of backlash that you get to, you know, Cheryl and I, I have a, I feel your pain with with having to lock down some of the social stuff. Um, you know, it's I think at one time where I would have gotten into some like nine hour argument uh, with someone who's you know being horrible. At this point, it's just you know block. I don't have mm-hmm. time to deal with this uh, kind of thing. Uh, the only thing is, I, I think that ties into your your question about the conventions and having it limited for women because of maybe financial reason. There's also the limitation when it comes to promoting yourself socially through social media, because of that safety um, concern that you have to have that you probably would not have to worry about, you know, if you were a man. Um, So that kind of limits women as well. There's a 
there's a barrier to how open you can be online, um, which is, is kind of sad. There are some women who are just like, ah, forget it. I'm just going to say what I want to say. But then you see the reaction that they get. And sometimes it's to the point where you are concerned because you don't know if someone is going to take it beyond the computer screen to a convention itself or, God forbid, someone's home. Right. I follow Colleen Duran on Twitter, and I will see that she will – I mean she's fairly outspoken, but I've met her in person. She's the nicest person that can be. I mean always nice, and people said, have said terrible things about her on social media because she'll just kind of show it, and she'll block them immediately. But I'm like, did you meet the same person I did? I mean what are you talking about? And unfortunately, she has to put up with that so she can be out there and continue to promote her work. And it's – I that's one thing I don't like about social media is that some people – don't conduct themselves as they would in person. They're hiding behind that social media. And rather than thinking, they're just firing something off. And to especially to attack women, you don't want to deal with this stuff. Like you said, you just have to limit your promotion that way. That's ridiculous. And I, it's, I find it disgusting. It's one thing about the technology I don't like is that people hide behind it sometimes. Almost like we're, we've stepped back 20 years sometimes on social media. Like it hasn't caught up with how people act most of the time. Uh, face-to-face. I mean, you probably meet nicer people face-to-face at the conventions when you go there. You probably don't run into, I, I'm assuming, you can correct me if I'm wrong, meet too many people that are nasty in person. That is something, I haven't experienced that since I was a very young girl. Most people conduct themselves in, in a much better way at conventions. I think when it was, when I was younger and the gender balance was definitely skewed, and I'm talking about maybe 20% women, 80% men, um, and I'm talking about like these small little cons um, in uh, New York and New Jersey, you would, you would see inappropriate behavior and you would be on, unfortunately on the receiving end of inappropriate behavior. But now the, I think because of, um, I don't want to say it this way because it sounds like, um, it sounds terrible, but I think because of the money coming in, people have taken these conventions a lot more seriously <laughs> uh, uh, than they have in the past. So you'll have, you know, a company like Reed that, is an excellent organization that uh, runs, uh, you know, wonderful conventions. Or um, I hope I'm not butchering his last name, uh, but uh, Jim DiMonacos, who used to run Emerald City. What a great convention that is. Um, I think people take it a lot more seriously now um, and make sure that everyone is having a good experience because the consequences now are a lot greater than they were before when you had something like a, a big Apple con where they were held in basements, you know? So um, I think the, the influx of money has changed things quite a lot. Well, and I think too, you know, to jump off of that, um, one of the things that, you know, conventions, especially um, ones that are really proactive and, and trying to court, you know, different fans, um, one of the things that they've been good at, about doing that the tech companies haven't is that, you know, they, they see bad behavior, they hear about bad behavior and they make sure it stops. You know, they, they hold people accountable, you know, they, they put policies in place. And, um, <laughs> I'm reminded of this article I read, um, I guess it was a few months ago, but it was about Twitter and it was, uh, it was done by this uh, very outspoken, uh, writer for the guardian, um, Lindy West. And she was, she was talking about how, you know, Twitter had had a Q&A and how um, one of the execs was fielding questions from users and somebody said, okay, what are you going to do about the Nazis on Twitter? And and they, the, the person who was being interviewed just sort of dodged the question like, 
we're really working on some cool stuff. And, and <laughs> Wes is kind of lampooning them like, all right, wouldn't your fri- first priority be get rid of the Nazis? Just yeah, I think that <laughs> one through 30 are no more Nazis and let's go from there. <laughs> so, I mean, I think that's, that's one of the things you're seeing in conventions. Um, n- maybe not all conventions, but certainly um, a lot of the big ones. Um, you're seeing a lot more, I think, proactive uh, responses to, to make sure that obviously guests uh, and uh, invitees feel like they're, they're safe. Unfortunately, sometimes it takes money, you know, the, the threat of losing money to get people to do the right thing. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's like certain people on TV being fired when there's been bad behavior for a long time. But once, you know, like sponsors go away and it starts hitting their pocketbook, then they take action. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> it's sad that has to happen. But on a more positive note, I don't know if you had a chance to see this or not. Wonder Woman, if you saw the movie yet, has anyone had a chance? No, nope. okay. I have not. I am waiting until uh, this weekend, so okay. I haven't seen it yet. Okay. I haven't seen it either, so you've got two no's. Wow. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. It's all on me. Okay. Well, that's okay because hey, – well, I was going to ask you as writers because I had some writers on my show the other day, and I wanted their opinion on the story and everything, but I'll give you my opinion, and I won't spoil anything about the movie. I did go see it. My wife and I went to see it uh, last Saturday. I don't usually go open night for these things because I love the movies. I want to see them, but it's difficult for me to get to movies like I used to. Um, just with, you know, family and work and everything. So I tend to go a couple days later when it's not quite so crowded. Uh, I know the energy is not quite as high when I go, when it's not opening night, but you know, it's still good to go that opening weekend. Well, when I went to the theater, I would say it was about mm, half capacity full, which was pretty good. I mean, it doesn't matter what the movie is. That's what I tend to find if it's opening weekend, weekends, you know, about half capacity. But, um, it was, it was a very good experience, um, it's one of the few movies I've been in that not only do people clap during the movie when they like a scene, but at the end of the movie, people clapped. And I don't see that very often or hear that very often. So that's a really good sign when people applaud in approval of something they just watched. Because it's usually just a given. Up, oh, it's over. Let's go. And just leaving the theater, there would be like a group of young girls and mom would be taking a picture of them together. So it was really like a special event, an outing for all of them to go out and see the movie. And um, I was really pleased with it without giving anything away. I think that it's a step in the right direction. It was a much more uplifting and positive film from DC. Um, a lot of their films have tended to run along that a darker type of tone since uh, The Dark Knight, Batman, which is you know fine if you're doing Batman. That's kind of you know a disturbing background, parent shot, vengeance. But everything has been kind of through that filtered lens of very muted colors and big battles and lots of destruction. Even Batman v Superman, one of the best things I thought about it was uh, Gal Gadot's Wonder Woman was one of the best parts. So here you have a whole movie, and it was uh, you'll be very happy that when you go to see it because it's definitely a step in the right direction. What do you think about it, just culturally, with what you've seen, what you've heard, but people's reaction to it? It's funny because I... Um just got back from uh, being overseas and um, I saw a lot of, um, you know, press and publicity for it over there, which, you know, isn't usually surprising. Um, Typically, you know, a lot of countries go big or go home for especially tentpole movies um, like Wonder Woman. But um, just, just based on, I think a quick scan of, you know, friends of mine who've seen it. I know people who've already seen it, you know, two and three times, 
Um, my Lyft driver from the airport highly recommended it. So <laughs> um, it, it feels like it crosses a, a wide uh, swath of, of people, which is, you know, really encouraging. Um, I, I obviously wanted Wonder Woman to do well going in. So um, it, it sounds like they've, they've definitely done, um, like you said, Chris, a step in the right direction. For me, it was just relief because for the whole time we were leading up to this movie, I was like, please do well, please do well, please do well, please do well. Because I knew that if God forbid it did not, that's the last one we were going to get mm, for, yeah, quite for a while. while. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, it's, it's, 2030. <laughs> it's sad because if we had a bad Captain America movie, I highly doubt Marvel would stop making Captain America movies. But in this case, if we have a bad Wonder Woman movie, if Godfrey, if we had, had had one, it would have kind of ground things to halt. Um, who knows how, you know, Marvel would have moved forward with Captain Marvel, uh, regarding considering, you know, I guess, I think it was kind of dependent on, you know, how Wonder Woman did. And I'm just very grateful that it, it has done well. It, people have, well, I, I, I figured that it was going to do well because these are stories that are just have been missing. And we really need those. Well, we've had stories about women before, but we have not had that those action stories um, that show that we can be heroes, that we can save the day. Um, we don't get those too frequently. And I think and I hope that with the addition of Wonder Woman, that's going to change. Wonder Woman isn't the first. Uh, we, you've had Fury Road before that. You've had other movies. Um, I believe there's uh, Ocean's... Um, I'm not sure of the number that's coming out. Be all uh, women. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm not either, but I know what you're talking about. The ocean's yeah, I'm movie. very excited about that mm-hmm, one. Mm-hmm. Um, Cassandra Bullock and Rihanna are in it, and that's just like my two favorites. Um, but there are movies coming out now, and they're doing well, and it's showing that not only are women going to these movies, men are going to these movies as well, because you can't have a popular Wonder Woman movie that half the audience, potential audience, doesn't want to go to. I mean, Wonder Woman is a success not only because women made it a success, but because men made it a success and saw and had no problem with a woman being the hero. Right. Yeah, my feeling was relief, too, because I saw the trailers. and I'm like, these look great. As soon as I saw the first trailer, I'm like, oh, thank God. What I liked about it so much when I saw because the trailer sometimes they're great. And then you see the movie and it's like, oh, man, I got ripped off. You know, that was just the way they they positioned it. But the way the movie came out wasn't as good. But. You know, Wonder Woman was noble. She's a noble warrior, and she hates war. And just everything about her character uh, was was spot on. I mean, I really just like that kind of character too. That's the kind of hero you want to see, and that's something that's been lacking. Oh, uh, I'm I'm here, by the way. Oh, okay, yeah. great, great. Hey, Joanne, how you doing? <laughs> did did I just miss yeah. the? Uh, oh God. No, you haven't missed it. We are in progress. Joanna, we were just talking about Wonder Woman, and I'll go back and ask you questions about Bitch Planet, but first, I just want to ask you, did you see the movie yet? Yes, I saw it like two nights ago. Okay. Only you and I have seen it on this call, so non-spoiler. Non-spoiler. Give us your impressions. Um, My impression was that I had a lot of moments that I was just like, oh my God, this feels really good, like really good, and I was just, and it felt very... I guess important because I was thinking about all like the, um, the little girls who are going to be seeing like this superhero movie. I'm like, Oh, finally this is for them. But I feel like just because I'm such a picky 
critic anyway, I was also very, I also had a, mo- a lot of moments where I was like, oh, oh, you ruined it. <laughs> you know? But, you know, just this and that. But um, on the whole, it was a very positive experience for me. And I'm te- generally pretty picky and choosy about female characters. Are you pretty familiar with the Wonder Woman mythos? I mean, have you read a lot of the books? Not really, no. It's it's actually uh, my my housemate is um, the one who's she's giant Wonder Woman fan. So okay, most of what I know about Wonder Woman I know from her. So I've read some of the books, um, but I'm not like a huge fan. Like I know all the details. Like I'm not mm-hmm. super geek nerd that's bothered by well, this doesn't follow continuity. This isn't in the books, so that helps me a lot when I go to see a movie, and even movies like Superman and Batman. I know enough, so it doesn't doesn't hold me back. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah, overall I was pretty happy with it, and. Um, I see it again. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would be, I, I'd be happy to own it. I mean, because it just has some moments that I was just like, oh my god, this is worth it. This is worth the price of admission. And like, like I said, there was a lot of moments that to me felt really good. Just you know, just to just be watching this and be like, yeah. <laughs> even even if like my my own picky self is just like, I was experiencing a little bit of like, oh, here comes the generic comic book movie scene. Or here comes this other generic thing that I was totally expecting, you know, X, Y, Z. But on the whole, I really liked it. Did you all see or have you watched reruns of the Linda Carter TV series? No, I'm afraid not. Okay. I haven't seen that since I was a little kid, uh, reruns of that. So it would would, would be hard for me to say anything because I think I was probably about like seven or eight. (laughs) (laughs) It's like Saturday morning cartoon kind of, you know. Okay. They're rerunning it now on television, like on one of those MeTV type networks. And uh, the stories are a little clunky. You know, it's the 70s. So I kind of cringe at some of that, the the writing. And I don't think the writers took things as seriously back then because it was a comic book. But Linda Carter always rose above the material. I mean, she was just, again, another one of those noble, strong warriors that you just liked her character. Right. Um, so that that alone is a good reason to watch those reruns. It's just because she's a great superheroine. She's just had a great role model for for kids who are watching that back then or watching it now. Even my son's like, I want to watch Wonder Woman. I'm like, all right, man, we'll put it on. <laughs> so, yeah, it's for that. It's worth going back and watching them. But Joanne, I did want to ask you. I already asked uh, my other guests, but I wanted to ask you about your contribution to Bitch Planet. And yes. tell us a bit about it, what you bring to it uniquely, without spoiling, of course, the story, because we do want to all get a chance to read it. It's coming out on the 14th. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It's been a while. I feel like it's. I feel like I actually drew this um, quite some time ago. But uh, I was, after I read the script, I, w- I felt very glad to be drawing something like this, because I, I guess just with the... Uh, the world's political climate being what it is right now, I, I was happy to, to feel like, you know, be add my voice and my own contribution and be like, yeah, just, you know, to be able to kind of put the story out there and um, illustrate it to the best of my ability. Did Kelly Sue come to you directly and ask you to contribute to the book? I don't know if she came to me directly. Uh, uh, Lauren came to me uh the my editor okay on this of course so i mean representative of kelly sue of course but i mean i i can't imagine that kelly sue didn't decide to you know um hire me <laughs> enlist me what, what do you call it <laughs> and i ask everyone i'll ask you the same would you do it again oh yeah definitely 
Um, one of my favorite things to do in comics is like, you know, a single issue or a short story or uh, just, you know, something small because then I'm not locked into using like the same style for like an entire graphic novel or something like that. I can just really kind of put everything into just a few pages and it's, I don't know, I find it very creatively rewarding doing short stuff. These are just fun questions. Uh, what do each of you like to do for rest and relaxation when you're not working, working hard? What do you do for that? You know, just for fun. Uh, we'll start with you, Joanne. Oh God. Um, when I'm not working, when I'm not drawing comics for work, I'm just drawing things for fun. So like, you know, I'm like, oh yeah, my hobby also drawing. Um, <laughs> Your work is your fun, right? <laughs> but but yeah, but a lot of times when I'm not uh, doing, you know, art that's for work, I'll be like making fan art of like my my favorite stuff, or you know, just um, or I was having a long conversation last night with a friend about how when I'm you know really kind of feeling like emotional and want to like draw my emotions, I'll like just you know paint or collage like star fields and stuff like that, just. What I'm really trying to say is that when I'm not drawing, my hobby is drawing. Okay. It's really <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> I mean, I, I do um, do a few other things. Like, I, I like to um, catch and collect butterflies and, and moths and stuff like that. And uh, I like to go camping and other things. I'm like, God, what do I do with my time? I just, you know, I just draw a lot and I watch a lot of uh, movies. <laughs> <laughs> Any favorite movies you'd like to recommend? Anything you've seen recently? Oh, favorite movies um, seen recently? I don't know. I mean, I just watched Get Out, which was amazing. Um, I liked that a lot. Uh, I've been looking forward to seeing that one. Um, so, yes, comes highly recommended. It. Uh, I'm saying this as a white person. It makes you really terrified of white people. <laughs> but... Uh, that was really good. And um, what else did I just see? Um, I'm a little late to the party on this one, but I just watched John Wick for the first time. And I was like, oh, my God, this is so rewarding seeing, like, this, you know, hot dude with tragic backstory take down the entire Russian syndicate on behalf of his cute puppy. You know, so I was like, I'm all about this. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. That, that's like the, the two I watched most recently. Okay. All right. Yeah. I haven't seen either one. And I've. I have get out on my list because I know my wife wants to see that too. So, um, yeah, I'm writing all this stuff down. <laughs> oh, yes. Please see Get Out. It is so good. Okay. That's what I've heard. So it's just been like everything I've seen on social media, friends of mine, it's like, you got to see it. I'm like, okay. Cheryl Lynn, rest and relaxation for you. I feel bad because I'm not as productive. So I don't write when I'm not writing. <laughs> I actually play <laughs> video games, which right. I probably should not do. But I, I am addicted to them. So yeah, oh, yeah no, definitely. I, that's, I forgot to mention I did that too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So for me, it, it, it video games, especially right now, uh, The Sims Four, which is like basically like playing Barbie's Dream House, but on your computer. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't see how you could go wrong with that. No, no, I, oh. I, I love The Sims. Like, my, my friends who play The Sims will, like, share the houses they've built. I'll be like, all right, when can I move in? Oh, I share mine, too. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I get so excited when someone new downloads it. They give you, like, a little ping on your game. <laughs> and I'm like, yes. I think I have, like, 900 downloads. And I'm like, yay, I'm great. 
People love my house. That's incredible. Great, good house. Great house. Conley, how about you? Rest and relaxation. Kicking back. Uh, well, I was laughing, Joanna, when you were talking about how you, you know, draw as a hobby when you're not drawing. Um, <laughs> I somehow end up writing a lot just for fun, even when I'm not, you know, working on a specific project. Um, I do love movies. Um, trying to think of anything I've seen recently. I just watched, um, and this is a, there's a really interesting story behind this movie, but it's called The Daughter of Dawn. Mm-hmm. Has anybody heard of that? I have not. I haven't either, no. So that is a silent movie from, I believe it's 1920, um, and it's one of the few silent movies that um, focused entirely on a cast of color. Um, so this was made um, with the uh, Kyla and the uh, Comanche uh, nations and so the filmmaker got you know all of these um, natives uh, to participate in his movie and uh, basically filmed a completely native story um, oh i'm already interested that's cool yeah so uh, i've oklahoma... actually heard of this so please continue yeah, yeah yeah so the oklahoma historical society and this was i think it was maybe only like 10 or 15 years ago um, found an old print of this film, which had, you know, up to that point, just, you know, they had thought it was lost. And so um, they actually were able to restore, I mean, it was like 95 or 97% of it. They wrote a new score. Um, so it, it was actually, it was really interesting um, just watching that um, with my family, not just because it was a very unique movie and kind of, a piece of Americana that we don't often see in cinema, but, um, you know, also, uh, my, my father, um, is an American Indian. And so it was just really interesting kind of having that experience with him. And, um, yeah, so that I guess is the, the most unusual movie that I've watched recently. Cool. That I'm going to check out. I, you, when you mentioned old film and restoration and found films, oh, that you have me there. That's it. Oh, <laughs> I love that stuff. And, and for me, it's like the – oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, I was just going to say I, I was like I always leap at the chance to uh, see, see media where like sort of like the – like you say, the Native Americans or like, you know, the, the tribal characters or, or nations or whatever – get to be the main characters instead of just like the side characters that kind of follow the usually white male lead around wherever he goes, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I like that sort of thing a lot. Yeah. And if I remember correctly, I don't think there's a single white person in that movie. So it's, it's actually really, and there um, doesn't need to be. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely not. But it's, you know, for, for 1920 for silent film, it's very unusual and uh, yeah. yeah, highly recommended. Cool. I believe it's a love story as well, right? It is, yeah. Now, my next question, this one's a little tougher. You're stuck on an island, no electricity. What is the one book or set of books, if it's part of the same collection, that you would want to have with you? Cheryl Lynn. Oh, my God. That is the worst, hardest question. I'm looking at my books right now, (laughs) and I'm horrified. It's hard to pick Um, one. That you're going to read over and over and over again. <laughs> wow. Wow. That is really hard. 
Um, I honestly, I do not think I could answer. I, it's like asking a mom which child she would. <laughs> 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 I think I have to forfeit my answer. I, I don't think I, I could um, pick one. Um, and then would it be a book? Would it be a comic? I mean, I, I, the, the, the child in me is like, I can't depart with my old Wildcats comics. Um, and of course I would want, um, to have little women with me, even though once I got to the end, I was so mad. I had to reread it from not Joe's point of view. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, but yeah, it, oh man, that's really, that's really, really difficult. Or would I like pull a nonfiction book like Lonely by Emily White, which is just amazing um, nonfiction book on, on loneliness in, in American culture? Um, yeah, I can't. Oh, no, I can't answer that question. <laughs> There's too much good stuff. I can't. I, 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 I have to forfeit that. I'm sorry. I, I could not either. If someone said, okay, you can save one comic book. The rest are burning. What would it be? I'd be like, I, I don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> really jam me up. Uh, Joanne, how about you? Do you oh, have uh, one? Yeah, like seconding this, that this is like the meanest question ever. So is it like one book or is it like a series of books? It can count? be a series. If they're all related, like it's volume one of, you know, you can have the whole series, the whole set there. Like if it's someone says Lord of the Rings, you can have the whole set. All right. Um, gosh. I guess just cue me stuffing as many Stephen King books into a bag as I possibly can. Okay. Um, if it was like just one, I'd probably go with it because mm. there's so much going on in that one. Like there's so many different stories that it's kind of like it's just such a, a, a long book, but not at all in a painful sort of way, in a good sort of way. Like you want it to be long. Um, as for comics, I'm like, ah. Oh God, maybe maybe my Elf Quest. I don't know. Okay, all right. <laughs> Just I don't know. It was a uh, that one was very influential to me. So I, I kind of go back and read it now. I'm like, well, this is kind of cheesy, but again, it's the whole like seventies thing. So I don't know, but like I said, hard question. <laughs> and I'll probably be like I'll, I'll be like lying awake later, going, oh no, I should have said this. <laughs> oh, I got it wrong. No, I can't. <laughs> so I'm, I'm glad you said what you said because now I'm definitely going to reread ElfQuest again because I haven't read it in a very long time. And now I'm just like, oh, yeah, ElfQuest. So now <laughs> I'm going to go reread it. ElfQuest, man. It's the way to, it's the way to be. Yes. <laughs> I've only had a few guests like immediately give me a book because they'll read the same book like once a year. So for them, it's a no-brainer. But most people have to really think about. So, kindly, you've had some time now. Oh, I wish y'all could see the face that I'm making <laughs> in my computer. Just <laughs> oh, well, if I'm able to bring series off the top of my head, I'll name three that you know were just sort of very formative for me. Uh, one is the Anne of Green Gables series. Um. <laughs> that was when I realized I was a canon purist was because I got angry at the PBS adaptation for completely, you know, screwing up the third volume. But uh, I think another one, um, has anyone read uh, the His Dark Materials trilogy? Oh, yes. 
that love one. that one. Love that one. Yeah. Good choice. That's one of my favorites. Um, let me think. Oh, this is so terrible. <laughs> you only get one. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> See, this is the other reason I'm glad I had the Kindle because you know, otherwise, oh, if, but there's no if power. I'm going down on the plane crash, that's <laughs> it's me in a box of books that I brought. So. <laughs> Oh gosh, I don't know. I oh, I guess if I only get one in the spirit of it, it would be one of those series. Okay, all right. <laughs> Just flip a coin, yeah. <laughs> yeah. My last question is not so difficult, and I know for one of you, it's going to be easy because it's on your profile <laughs> on Twitter. Uh oh. <laughs> Kylie, I'll start with you. What is oh, great. your beverage of choice? <laughs> oh well. I don't, I don't think Sherilyn or uh, Joanna has read my profile recently, so I'll spoil it for you and say that I do love a good cup of tea. No, if you can only have Spoilers. one type of tea. Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> Earl Grey, green tea? Um, I drink a lot of Earl Grey. I drink a lot of black teas, but I also like herbal teas. Um, mm -hmm. Red rooibos tea is, is one of oh, my favorites. Yes. yes, very good. Okay, okay. but... but one tea on desert island. Which is the <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> iced tea. It has to be iced. <laughs> I, to, I wish I could show you guys the tea shelf that I have. It's the, the same problem as I had before with the bookshelf where it's just like, I don't know what sort of Tetris I have to do to get this to fit in there. But yeah. <laughs> Tetris. Tetris. <laughs> I'm stealing that. I'm stealing that. That's too good. <laughs> Herbal teas are great. You say rooibos is at the. Am I saying that right? I think I'm saying that right. Uh, yeah. Like no caffeine in there. It's really nice, relaxing. I like chamomile before bed. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's got a different flavor to it, mm -hmm. and it's not it's not chamomile. It's not like lemon. It, I don't know. It's just it's it's nice. You can put some honey in there. Just really live it up. Charlene, your beverage of choice. Um. I, I drink green tea every day, but if I was stranded on an island, um, Arnold Palmer's half tea, half lemonade from Arizona iced tea. Oh, yeah. Oh, my okay. God. It is just, it is ambrosia. <laughs> I love that. Sarah Lynn, that is my road trip drink. Because <laughs> I would drink it all the time. So it, it can't be in the house, but oh, my God, that, that is the drink. Yes, that, that, oh, that's the easiest question ever. Okay. <laughs> All right. All right. Joanna, you're up. Beverage of choice. Oh my, oh my God. I, I'm, I'm about to copy Cheryl Lynn here because those are good. Um, <laughs> I, I, I did, I did this thing one time because I always like, I love Arnold Palmer. So I'll just always get that like at restaurants. So I'll be like, I'll have an Arnold Palmer. And they're like, okay. Except one day I got the, the um the name wrong and i asked for god what did i ask for i asked for like a virgin tom collins and the waiter just gives me this look and then brings me a lemonade and i was like <laughs> what is this oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah god beverage of choice i don't know how about a nice big bottle of pink champagne okay. that sounds good to me right. <laughs> that's great Okay. Well, before we sign off, I just want to give you each a chance to talk about where you're going to be this year, any, any con appearances, and what you're working on next. So, Joanne? Oh, golly. Joanna. Um, I'm sorry, Joanna. Please. Yes. Don't forget the A. Very important. Okay. <laughs> um, 
God, con appearances for this year. Um, I only, I mean, the end of this month, I'm, I'm doing a anime expo out in LA. My first time trying that one. And then uh, I believe I have um, Otakon, another anime convention, in August. And that's in, like, uh, Washington, D.C. this year, I believe. Um, I honestly mostly do uh, anime conventions because... I'm sorry, Comic-Cons, but I make a lot more money at those. <laughs> it's just a fact. I mean, your mileage may vary, but for me, it's definitely that's where I, I uh, sell the most prints. Okay. And what are you working on now? Uh, good question. Mostly just a lot of um, little self-publishing projects. I'm um, not really taking on a whole lot of other uh, contracted comic work at the moment uh after the last book i did for dark horse um i burned out really hard and my health took a huge dive so i've just kind of been like not trying to take on um any other uh, big comic projects for now and have been uh, focusing on doing things that i would like to do whether it's really like a money-making endeavor or not um so yeah just uh Little things here and there. I, I can't say there's anything big, really. Okay, that's fair enough. Uh, sorry, that's pretty boring. No, that, no that's <laughs> fine. Hey, you got to take care of your health, too, you know? I, I do have to say, though, if uh, if anybody wanted me back for Bitch Planet, I'd be like, all right, I'm here. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, can I just plug one more thing? I'm sorry. I Absolutely. I appearance. Um, I just... Uh, I forgot to mention, I, um, I'm actually doing a signing on June 14th when... Uh, the comic comes out at uh, Westfield Comics East in Madison, Wisconsin from 4 to 6. So if anybody who lives in Madison is tuning in, please come see me. That okay. would be great. <laughs> Very good. Conley, how about you? Appearances and what you are working on now? Uh, well, I am appearing at Heroes Con. Uh, not sure when this is going to air, but this is uh, next weekend, so... Uh, essentially Father's Day weekend, June uh, 15th. So that'll be very exciting. Um, I'll be there Saturday and Sunday, definitely. Maybe Friday if I can uh, get all my, my stuff loaded in in time. <laughs> all right. And uh, you're working on right now? Um, I've actually got a lot of different projects going on at the moment. Um, none comic related um, currently, but... I'm working on a children's book, and um, hopefully I'll get to show um, some some previews of that at Heroes. Um, my my artist lives in the area, and uh, we're good friends, so hopefully she'll be able to uh, come out and um, help me showcase some stuff there. And then um, I'm also working on a novel um, about my loosely based on the life of my grandfather, um, my uh, Native American grandfather, and uh, just uh, his his story and how he um, ran away from uh, the reservation and headed to Chicago uh, in the late teens, early 1920s. Um, so really digging into uh, a lot of historical research for that, uh, but it's been uh, pretty exciting. All right, excellent. Very good. And Sherilyn, appearances? Um, you've actually just missed my last one, which was uh, Emerald City. I am a um, one or two convention a, a, a year girl. 
Um, so no heroes for me this year. Um, possibly um, Baltimore City Comic Con, but that is a um, that's a possibility. Um, as of right now, I am working on a creator-owned project that I can't really talk about uh, yet. So that will have to remain a secret, unfortunately. Okay, so to be continued. Yes. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, I appreciate all of you making it here on Creator Talks. And your book is coming out. This is Bitch Planet Triple Feature on the 14th of June. Um, and this will be broadcast on Monday, the Monday before, on the 12th. I'm committing to that so people will have a chance to hear this before the book comes out so they can rush to their comic shop, rush to their iPad, Download, buy. I buy a hard copy, folks, because there's there's going to be more content in there that's going to be the back matter, so you don't want to miss that. Thank you all so very much for being on the show. No problem. Oh, thank you for having us. Yeah, it's been great. All right, and be sure to check out Bitch Planet in stores on June 14th. That was a lot of fun, and I'll be doing more interviews like that where I'll have several guests on. In fact, I have one coming up next week on Monday, June 19th. That's already in the can. Before closing out business today, I just want to say um, the loss of Adam West is a huge one to comics fans and fans of the original Batman series. He was my first Batman, so I'm told that when I was very little, before I could even speak, barely could stand, um, I would be dancing next to the TV singing Bat-Bat for Batman. And later, years later, my son did the same thing when he was about my age and I was watching the Adam West Batman TV series. So he will be greatly missed, the great Adam West. Thank you so much for joining me this week, sending your tweets and your social media shares, and continue to share the show on social media. Wow, say that three times fast. You can reach me at Creator Talks Pod on Facebook and Twitter. Share it with your friends. Spread the word of Creator Talks. I have another interview coming up with an insane comics creator this Thursday, and then it's off to Heroes Con, and I'll be returning Monday the 19th with another interview with three creators. I'm on the fence about seeing the Mummy movie with Tom Cruise that came out this weekend. It's gotten a lot of bad press, but I'm such a universal horror film fan. I want to see that franchise come back with the dark universe. So if you've seen it, let me know what you think at Creator Talks Pod on Facebook and Twitter. I'd like some feedback on it. I'm looking forward to going to Heroes Con, meeting a lot of new people, and seeing some old friends. So stay tuned. I'll be reporting after the con and maybe while I'm at the con. For Creator Talks, I'm Christopher Calloway. Until next time.